On today's episode, a musical look at the future of streaming. Plus, customer retention predictions for the year to come. And the retail apocalypse is on fire. When will retail fight back? All this and more today on Recur Now. From ProfitWell's Boston HQ, it is Wednesday, January 8th. I'm Abby Sullivan. I'm James Herrick. And I'm Grace Gagnon. It's a beautiful day to subscribe. First up, your daily subscription digest. Jimmy Iovine, the record executive who made his leap to Silicon Valley, looks back on the decade in the music business and says he sees a major problem on the horizon. We found a New York Times piece interviewing Iovine regarding the biggest story in music this past decade, namely embracing the internet and leveraging the comeback of streaming in the business. Because perhaps no one has a broader view of this than Iovine. He and his partner, Dr. Dre, sold Beats Electronics to Apple for $3 billion back in 2014 and helped launch Apple Music, a late entry to the streaming market that is now booming. And in this interview, Iovine claims that there's a looming problem for streaming. He says that problem is margin. It just doesn't scale. At Netflix, the more subscribers you have, the less your costs are. In streaming music, the costs follow you, he says. And streaming music services are utilities. They're essentially all the same. As we touched on in yesterday's episode of Recur Now, content success has been all about originality. But music streaming services are all the same, and that is an issue. Ivy knows what happens when something is commoditized is that it becomes a war of price. If you can get the exact same thing next door for cheaper, somebody's going to enter this game and just lower the price. This is a solid interview we found inside Iovine's thoughts on the future of streaming and the industry as a whole. We'll link to the full piece in your subscriber newsletter, and we're keen to hear what you think on his take. We are solid in our viewpoint that subscription is the future, but what's the next decade look like for streaming? It could be a totally different beast. And now over to Grace on Renting the World. Okay, it's no secret I'm a huge subscription fan. From clothes and meals to entertainment, even books, my world is essentially rented. And Guy Marion at Total Retail argues that retention is on tap for companies who are looking to keep customers like me engaged in driving growth. Here's where his head is at. Guy thinks more mainstream brands will embrace the subscription model amid this retail apocalypse. He also thinks customer retention will become the new frontier for marketers. Yep, he's talking companies like Zoom, Datadog and PagerDuty, who were the visions of success in 2019, thanks in part to their killer retention metrics. Another prediction, metrics will shift to reflect a retention-first mindset. Because the acquisition-at-all-costs mentality isn't a problem that originates solely within a marketing organization, but changing the focus of marketing teams to be retention-minded will be a common theme this year, he claims. A public and shared churn goal will help keep teams aligned on their retention efforts. And we know the cruciality of choosing your metrics wisely, although it can be incredibly difficult to try to assess this collection of numbers and figure out where to begin. So we will link to our own SaaS metrics guide in your subscriber newsletter. And Guy also says, that in 2020, personalization will mean more than creepy ads and first name emails. Because we need to look at interaction with our customers as a one-to-one event, taking more of the known factors of customers, segmenting them into groups, and personalizing their web and product experiences to the point where it's an entirely custom journey. We will also link to a solid resource we found by user lane on this one. 
And finally, Guy sees customers as having even more control and companies must pay attention. We saw this fact just yesterday in CEO and founder Austin Peter Smith's Twitter thread on SAS facts. California enacted legislation in July of 2018 that stipulated that online subscriptions must also be available to cancel online. In 2020 and beyond, companies must let the consumer be in control. There's a lot more where this came from, so be sure to check out the full piece. We'll link to it in your subscriber news letter as always. And for more in retail, the team at Zora says they've read all the headlines about retail apocalypse. Yet retailers are still struggling to fully embrace what Zora has coined as the subscription economy. Zuo says he often gets asked about which industry will move to subscriptions next. And he always has the same answer. Follow the disruption. But that's what makes retail so puzzling. Headlines about zombie malls and retail apocalypse have riddled the web, and UBS expects 75,000 more stores in the U.S. will be forced to close by 2026. So when is retail finally going to fight back? There are some in this space that are already nailing it, like Trunk Club, Stitch Fix, and Amazon Prime, but retailers are still obsessed with shipping products, and they aren't focused on maximizing transactions as opposed to cultivating relationships. Zuo says he hopes it happens sooner rather than later, but for him, the shift feels like it's going to take a while. Let us know what you think. Email Abby at Abby at RecurNow.com with your thoughts. We want your intel as the shoppers and as the creators. And that's a wrap on your January 8th subscription news. Up next, a feature on Teen Zuo, the subscription master. Today's subscription sapien is... Zuo, who, as the founder of Zora, has given hundreds of other entrepreneurs the tools to manage their own subscription-based businesses. Zhu may be a veteran of the SaaS space, being one of the first employees at Salesforce and remaining there for nine years, but he is not afraid to be radical. He and his team would go to crazy lengths to get customers and mindshare in those early days, from putting sales reps in taxis with their competitors' potential clients to protesting the Apple iPad. Zhu believes that instead of building a product and finding customers, you should identify your user base and build a product around them. You have to think about things backwards, right? You have to think about things in, 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 in the reverse of what the conventional wisdom is. And so the conventional wisdom might be you create a product and then you go find customers. I don't think it works like that, not in the early days. I think you start with a customer and you say, there's a set of customers that have a pain point, and I actually know who they are. And you can even test the idea. And so, um, you know, before we actually launched the product at Salesforce, we probably had about 200 people that were already signed up to, to, to join the beta when, if and when we released it. And uh, at Zora, we had a signed customer contract I think it was for um, about $50,000 a year. And the contract was written to say, you obviously don't owe us any money until we deliver the product. But we had built a prototype yet, but we hadn't actually created the product. And, and so, um, and so there's, there's, there's a certainty that you can go into the exercise with if you can start from the customer and understand what the demand is. As one of the earliest adopters of the subscription model, Zoo has a wealth of knowledge, so it's no surprise that he literally wrote the book on subscription. In his book titled Subscribed, he evaluates subscription past, present, and future. With all kinds of companies incorporating subscription into their business, the pricing model may seem like a no-brainer, but this was not always the case. Zoo was integral in showing the bigwigs on Wall Street the subscription way. 
There's a new business model that invalidates the existing incumbent Oracle, SAP, ERP systems. And so it gives us a chance to build something brand new. That being said, if it really is something new, then you have to spend a lot of time, right, you know, evangelizing it, but, but explaining to the world why the new thing is the new thing. And it takes time. And, and I remember the first time we convinced um, folks about a subscription-based business model, we came up with the term subscription economy in 2008, and it didn't work, right? We actually said, this is not working. Let's not use this term anymore, right? So we stopped using it. We tried like business cloud, we tried all these other things. And then in, you know, in 2009, I, I think uh, maybe like Netflix started truly transforming the subscriptions. And so we dusted off the term subscription economy, tried it again. And this time it, it, it really stuck. And, and so you, you need to try things. Same thing with investors. In, in 2004, when Salesforce went public, we had a hard time getting investors to, uh, to understand uh, the business model. I mean, they looked at it and they're like, you're losing money, you're gonna lose money forever, right? Why would I wanna invest in you? I don't understand why Oracle and SAP can't just take you guys out. And so, so Salesforce was not a runaway success um, in the initial years. It took like NetSuite, SuccessFactors, and a bunch of other SaaS companies to go public before people realized, okay, well maybe, maybe this, is, this is going to be real. Just one of the ways subscription has flipped conventional business knowledge on its head is that it's all about the user. Understanding your users is crucial to building success, which is at the cornerstone of Zora's strategy and trickles down to all the businesses they help and their users in turn. How do I develop a picture of a customer? Right? How much have they purchased from me in the past? And, and what are they doing with my application? Right? If you're a product company, start putting sensors in your product, start collecting that information, but tie all that information back to that customer record, back to that, we call it a subscriber identity record. And then look at it. And then you have fundamentally three questions. You know, is your growth in the future going to come from acquiring more customers? Right. And how are you going to do that? Right. And then you do that with services. I'm going to go down market. I'm going to go international market. Or is your revenue going to come from increasing the revenues per customer, which means you need to cross sell, upsell, redefine your bundles and so on and so forth. Or is your revenue going to come from reducing churn? We were talking to a gaming company. And they said, you know, we sell a lot of games. And when we come up with a new game, we know we can sell a million copies of the game. And people will pay us $60 for that game. And then two years later, we'll come up with the next version, right? Before it was version 10, now it's version 11. And we know that only 50% of our customers that bought that game, you know, the old version two years ago, will buy the new version, 50%. And so to a subscription company, that's 50% of your customers churning over two years. And then what the CEO said is, you know, if you take that $60 and we take it over time, right? We take it over two years, but we're forced to keep the customer engaged, right? They're not playing the game for two weeks and they forget about it, right? We're going to keep them engaged. We're going to keep them coming back. We're going to create new versions. We're going to create light versions for their phone, right? Whatever it happens to be. And we keep them engaged with the brand. We know that we can hold on to a lot more than 50% of our customers over that two-year period. And that's a much healthier business. This is how companies need to think. Start with the customer. How do you hold on to the customers? Don't worry about taking all the revenue up front for a product sale, but how do you get them engaged with you over and over again over a period of time? And then how do you wrap your revenue model, right, to be reflected, to reflect the value that they're getting from that engagement, that experience with you, right? That's the starting point. Now, yes, there's huge implications on how you price, right? How you design your products, how you go to market, 
right? But, but start with that because that will inform all the other decisions that you need inside your company. If you enjoyed this snippet into the subscription sapien, share this and make sure you're subscribed to Recur Now to receive them straight to your inbox. And finally, a teaser for our show, Protect the Hustle. We'll have all new episodes coming this year, including an interview with Zora's Team Zuo himself. From ProfitWell Recur, it's Protect the Hustle, a show about those who are in the trenches actually doing the work. What is hustle? The word hustle dates back to the 1680s from the Dutch word huslen, which means to shake or to toss. The very core of the word is around shaking up and pushing forward, which is why plenty of the dictionary definitions have some derivation of movement or energy. As Queen Miriam Webster quips, hustle is to obtain by energetic activity. The core of hustle was around changing your environment and shaking things up to produce large scale action. Sometimes that was very positive, pulling yourself up from your bootstraps or running that extra sprint in practice. But other times, it was more negative. Pool hall hustling or slinging rock. Hustle was initiative and not accepting your circumstances and doing everything in your power to change. Hip hop embraced this throughout the 90s and the aughts because a lot of circumstances in black communities need to be shaken up to push out of poverty by any means necessary. The negative externality of that though was because of circumstances a lot of times this meant selling drugs or doing illegal activities because there just wasn't another option. But it's important to remember that hustle wasn't negative. It wasn't bad intent. Hustle was that movement of changing circumstance and environment to get to the point where you could go legit. Even in Jay-Z's 90s classics Can't Knock the Hustle and Rap Game Crack Game, hustle was the means of taking on challenges to garner wealth and actually hustle out of the illegal means into the legal ones. Johnny and Jane startups embraced this concept of hustle because it meant shoe leather and elbow grease, getting there before anyone else did and going that extra mile to get the deal done. But then hustle changed. Hustle became more gratuitous. In the late aughts, songs like Rick Ross's Hustlin' started to stop talking about the velocity of hustle and just the movement of cash from one place to another. Now it was money for money's sake, not to move out of circumstance, but for cash and cars and just more cash and more cars. Startups started latching onto this word as the gratuitous image of crushing it and tweeting out unnecessary vocalizations of superficial feelings of accomplishment. Hustle lost its edge. The context changed completely and hustle became negative because we associated it with not great things and not great people. But the thing is though, hustle still means hustle. Hustle is a beacon to changing your own personal circumstances and destroying the demons that haunt you and try to prevent you from doing that one extra call, that one extra rep or whatever it takes. Those who protect the hustle define hustle and that's what we're all about at ProfitWell keeping that velocity to rage against the dying of things that we find important. And to do our part to the greater hustle community, we're bringing you season two of Protect the Hustle. Stories in the trenches from the people doing the actual work and protecting everything that hustle stands for. So sign up at protectthehustle.com and sit back, relax, and take notes. 
And that's it for your January 8th episode of Recur Now. If you are interested in collaborating with us for a feature on the show, send me a note over at abby at recurnow.com and we shall discuss.